to be looking at Sefer Tehillim. You go, what? What is Sefer Tehillim? It's called the Book of Praises. That's what the Book of Psalms actually was known as years and years ago. It's Jewish for Book of Praises. S-E-P-H-E-R-T-E-H-I-L-L-I-M. Tehillim. And that, uh, Sefer is book and praises in Hebrew is Tehillim. Don't ask me to pronounce any other Hebrew without ample practice. But we're going to be talking about this collection of hymns, and songs, hymns and songs and praises that focuses the worshiper on the attributes of God, who God is, in all of his works on our behalf. I'm telling you, one of the most exciting books of the Bible to teach, to preach from, is the book of Psalms, because it is the book of praises. You look at Psalms 8, verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name, or how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And we've all heard that song, Our Lord, O Lord, how majestic is thy name. So many songs have been taken from the Psalms and put to music. As a matter of fact, all of the Psalms were meant to be sung in temple worship and played on a, uh, a harp or a stringed instrument of some sort with, with horns, jubilant, except for those that were psalms of lamentation. All of the songs were direct, were to direct the worshiper to God's goodness and God's grace. As a matter of fact, I, I remember early in, in my Christian faith, uh, after I trusted the Lord Jesus, and I wanted to really get into the Word of God, I found that the book of Psalms was one of the books that it didn't matter if you opened it up and went like this and read it, it was going to be a delight, it was going to be a blessing, and as a young Christian, it really blessed my soul and helped me in my walk of the Lord Jesus. What an interesting, wonderful, glorious book of praises it, it is. It covers the book of Psalms. Actually, it's five books. It's actually five books. Uh, we're going to break that down for you in just a few minutes, but it's actually five books. It covers over a thousand-year period. Over a thousand-year period. One of the first person to write a psalm was Moses. The 90th psalm is attributed to Moses. It goes back to Moses. Verse 2 of Psalm 90 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. That was Moses that wrote that as he considered all that God was leading him to do and directing him to do. 
Look at Psalm chapter 1. Any, any book that starts out in this fashion is going to be a book not only dramatic, but is going to be able to take your life and mold it and shape it. The Holy Spirit, use it to direct us. So tonight when you get home, do this at Psalm 1, 1, and then read all of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Folks, that's not just a suggestion. That's an imperative from God's Word. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Anybody not want to prosper? Anyone here want to be just an old dried leaf that kind of withers and fails and fades away? But God's Word is so clear about those that concentrate on God's Word, that study God's Word, that takes God's Word seriously. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That means shall not stand on the resurrection day shall not stand at the resurrection of the just, they will stand the resurrection of the unjust. And believe me, uh, there are three resurrections. There's a resurrection that we call the rapture that's going to take place where those that are alive are being caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and those which have died in Christ are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's our mystery resurrection that we, the members of the church, the body of Christ, are looking for Titus three calls it uh, or Titus two calls it our blessed hope. Then there's the resurrection of the just that takes place at the end of the tribulation, and I believe that the book of Psalms is going to be so critical to the nation of Israel and those believers during that seven-year period as they endure the tribulation, the day of the Lord, that time of judgment, that it's going to be the book of Psalms that they're going to turn to that's going to give them so much encouragement, that's going to give them and cause them to praise the way they're going to need to be doing it. Then there's the resurrection of the unjust at the end of the millennial kingdom when every, the, those who are lost that did not participate in our resurrection, those that do not participate in the resurrection of the just at the end of the tribulation, they are going, because everyone's going to receive a resurrected body. We understand that, right? Everybody is going to receive a resurrected body. Everybody is going to stand before God. Every one of us, every knee is going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. No one's going to get out of that. Everyone is going to receive a resurrected body at some point. But for those that do not know Christ, their resurrected body is going to be cast into the lake of fire, which God's Word calls the second death. You don't want to participate in the second death, Right? So this, we, Psalms 1 starts out with such an enormous warning. 
Therefore the godly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That's the way the book of Psalms starts out. And it just gets more and more intense and praiseworthy as we go along. Like I said, it's over a thousand years. Most of the Psalms were written by David. There are 150 Psalms. 73, maybe 75 were written by David. Uh, It's pretty certain that the Psalms were are used in the temple worship, uh, set to music, uh, to be played on stringed instruments, as we said. That's why I've never understood those churches that do not want a musical instrument in their church. It's just plain biblical to have guitars and, and other stringed instruments, violins, I think it all glorifies God. As a matter of fact, when you came in, what we were doing is uh, playing some of the psalms on on the screen. As you came in, that wasn't racket. Those were Jewish uh, people singing the psalms, especially Psalms 8. If you ever get a chance, just go on YouTube and just type in a psalm. Say Psalm 104, uh, Psalm 146, and more than likely, it's going to be set to music, and you can hear it as they sing it, as they would have sung it in the temple worship. And I've got to tell you, it is just mesmerizing. It is beautiful, because that's what the Psalms were for. It's for them to come together and praise God and worship God. And it was a collection, more than likely, Ezra, and we just talked about Ezra, Uh, Ezra is the one that collected all these psalms and pretty much put it in the book that we have here today. But the psalms, Moses, David for sure, even those that go into uh, exile. Psalm 137 is all about those when we've talked about Israel, we've talked about the prophets, we've talked about Judah and their sin and how they were, went into to Babylonian captivity. Even Psalm 137 is written by them, some of them, concerning them going into captivity. It is, it is one of the most interesting laments of all as they, as they pour their heart out to God himself and what has happened. But as I said, there are five books in the book of Psalm. Uh, Psalm 1 through 41 is one book. Psalm 42 through 72 is another. Psalm 73 through 88, and I expect you to remember all this. Psalm 90 through 106, and then Psalm 107 through 150 is another book. One is the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, and the book of Deuteronomy. And how it all relates to Moses and leading Israel out and the the praise that that Psalms uh, includes for the nation of Israel. It all just fits in this glorious study. But what the book of Psalms does primarily is it points to the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. 
It's all about praise and worship and acknowledging who God is and his mighty works on the behalf of his people. The book of Psalms is compiled over centuries. It involves worship of God. It talks about God's faithfulness, God's holiness, and man's need. What the Psalms is all about is worshiping God, and what worshiping God is is telling God back who He is, acknowledging His attributes that you know His character, His attributes, and you love Him for it, you praise Him for it, you adore Him for it, you worship Him for it. That's what that's all about. That's what true worship is. It's not you being blessed of God, but you blessing God as you acknowledge who He is in your life. That's what honors God. I think it was a big mistake when man started looking at God as a, as a, a machine that you go and you put your money in and you push what kind of blessing you want and it dispenses that out and you go, okay, that's, that's not what God is. He's not a dispensing machine. Yes, he blesses. Oh, does he bless. But he's God. Our desire as his people should be to desire to bless him. Lord, you put into our lives and we give back to you. That's really what worship is all about. It's not taking a wish list to God and saying, here's what I need today. I need this. Check it, check it, check it. What we do as believers is we take to God and say, you check off. You make me. And, and matter of fact, that's what God says. He's begun His work in us, and He will perform it, being confident that the work that He's begun in us, He will perform. How glorious that truth is, that God is putting into us what He wants us to to be like, and that is to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what worship is. Lord, here I am. Just like Isaiah, Lord, here I am. Send me. Lord, I'm not going to send you to go do my will. Lord, you take me and send me. You use me to do your will. That's what worship is all about. And in the book of Psalms, Christ is the anointed. Now, I know I put up there, he's the good shepherd. And the reason I use that is because that is the, the, the main psalm that we're going to look at this morning. is the 23rd, 23rd psalm, and, and he is the good shepherd. But as you look through the book of Psalm, he is the anointed. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the one that the nation of Israel desired. He is the one that was promised to them. I think it's interesting. One of the verses that we've used in this whole study is Luke 24. Look at Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 44. And he, talking about the Lord Jesus, he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. 
We've talked about Christ being the central theme. In the book of Psalms, it's all about Christ, especially Psalm 22. Look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Now, what's interesting is there are over 23 Psalms that have direct fulfillment they're, they're prophecies concerning the Messiah, and they're going to have direct fulfillment in the New Testament. But Psalm 22, it is the Messianic Psalm. I mean, you have creation Psalms, you have Exodus Psalms, you have penitence Psalms, you have pilgrimage Psalms, you have wisdom Psalms, but the ones that stand out are the Messianic Psalms, the ones who point to Christ and say, this is your anointed. This is what your Messiah is going to do. This is what your Messiah is going to be like. So that when the Messiah does come on the scene, what will they be able to do? Recognize him. See, God was faithful to do exactly what he said. They were singing these songs in the temple. They were worshiping God in the temple. All of Israel and Judah, they understood these songs. And it was all about the Messiah why in the world did they miss him when he came? It must have been sin. But Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why has thy forsaken me? Do we read that in the New Testament? Who says that in the New Testament? Christ himself says that on Calvary's cross. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Look at verse 8, well, verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. You know, if you were there at Calvary, and you were on the ground, and you were watching this man be horribly crucified, and all of a sudden, you started hearing him say things like this. What, what would you think? As a matter of fact, the centurion, when he saw all the things that were going on, said, truly, this was the Son of Man. He knew. Verse 9, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. All of Psalm 22 is so many of the things that Christ took place, on, said, on Calvary's cross itself. But look at Psalm 2. Just to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Look at Psalm 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Matthew, look at Matthew 3, verse 17. 
Matthew 3, verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Same thing. Hebrews, I mean, Psalm 8, 6. And, and there are so many. There's like 23 or more of these Psalms in, that point directly to direct quotes in, in the New Testament. Psalm 8, 6. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the wor- thy works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Hebrews 2.8 says the exact same thing. All the over and over and over, the, the Psalms have direct correlation with fulfillment in the New Testament as it points to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Look at the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm. As we go through Christ of the book, He is the anointed of God in the Psalms. He is the Messiah as we go through the book of Psalms. But there is not a Psalm that's more beloved. There's not a Psalm that's more quoted. I don't think I've ever been to a funeral where that Psalm was not quoted. It just seems to be people's favorite Psalm. But I got to tell you folks, this Psalm is loaded loaded with glorious truth about who our Jehovah is, who the Lord Jesus is. Look at Psalm 23, verse 1. Nearly every reference to who Jehovah is is mentioned in the 23rd Psalm. It's like all the Bible just kind of is pulled together and is all brought into this one psalm and pushed down here to say, here is your God. Here's what he does on your behalf. Recognize his glory, his wonder, his ability, his characteristics. It all comes down to the 23rd Psalm. For instance, verse 1, the Lord is my Shepherd. Now, this is a psalm of David. David was the shepherd king. If anybody understood shepherds, it was David. I mean, he knew sheep. And for him to say, the Lord is my shepherd, here is Jehovah Roi. That's who he is. It identifies him. Jehovah Roi. The Lord is my shepherd. So guess what happens when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and in John chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 14, who does he declare himself to be? I am the good shepherd. The people should have gone, wow. This is the long-awaited one. John 10 Verse 11, he declares himself to be the good shepherd. You know what about a shepherd and sheep? A shepherd understands the need of his sheep. He knows what his people need. Let me tell you a few things about sheep. 
they're really dumb. They're easily deceived and made to think things that are not quite accurate and true. But a good shepherd knows how to calm his sheep down and how to gently lead them. Sheep, you have to lead. You don't drive sheep. Cattle, you can drive. Sheep, you have to lead. And they know the shepherd's voice, and so they follow. If you're behind them trying to drive them, they're which way. So the shepherd knows who his, he knows his sheep. The sheep know the shepherd, and they follow him as he leads them. The neat thing about it is sheep can't eat unless they're, unless they're free of fear. Sheep can't do much of anything unless they're free of friction, free of pest free of hunger, free of thirst. I mean, if a sheep is just a little bit put out, you have difficulty with them. But the shepherd knows what his sheep needs. They can be contrary. And it's a good shepherd that makes sure, and when the psalmist, when David here says, the Lord is my Jehovah Roi, He is Jehovah, my shepherd. He is the one that causes his fear to be over. He is the one that quells that friction. He is the one that keeps the pest from bothering the sheep. And there are a lot of pests. You look out on a tranquil sheep um, herd and and it looks so tranquil, and they're up, and they're eating, and, and they just bat, and they're, they're kind of, you see the little lambs, and they're jumping. But they are inundated with pests, trying to get up in their nose, in their eyes. And it's the shepherd's job to make sure that those pests don't lay larvae and, and cause all sorts of distress to the sheep. But the Lord is my shepherd, so he is the one who's keeping me free from friction, free of pest. He is the one that's watching out for me, caring for me, and I can trust him to do all that needs to be done on my behalf. Because he's faithful, the Lord is my shepherd. And when the Lord Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd, folks, that's, that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. So there's one. He is Jehovah Roi. I shall not want. There you have Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who supplies. See, that name for Jehovah goes all the way back to, to Abraham offering Isaac in Genesis 22:4. Remember how God had. had uh, Abraham to take Isaac. It's all a type of Christ. And, and actually, all, the mount that Abraham took Isaac to is in where Jerusalem was going to eventually be. I think it was actually on Golgotha. I think it was the mount there was Calvary where he was to, to uh, uh, offer him. But God had another plan, of course. 
But it was a test of Abraham's faithfulness. Of course, God already knew what Abraham was going to do. But what did God do there when he stayed Abraham's hand? So he didn't offer Isaac in sacrifice. What did God do? What did he provide instead? A lamb. An, a lamb. And that's the first time that the Lord is referred to Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides what is needed. He provided himself the lamb, God did. Not only there, but he provided himself the lamb on Calvary's cross. And what's interesting about the word Jireh in Hebrew, it means vision. It, it, it means, literally means Jehovah. It has to do with his prevision. What, what God sees you need, he provides. He is the Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides your need. He knows your need because he sees what your need is. His prevision is all part of his provision. Does that make sense? That's, that's the whole idea behind this. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he knows what my needs are. This is all part of the Psalms. It's just declaring these truths to his people. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Still waters, that's the only way a sheep can drink. But he makes me to lie down. Do you know that if a sheep is agitated or if there's friction of any kind, a sheep cannot lie down. Can't do it. It's only when a sheep is at peace can it lay down or lie down. Well, you get the hint or you get the message. See, he, here he is our Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. That name for Jehovah goes all the way back to Judges 6.24 when God raises up Gideon and says, you're going to be a judge and I want you to judge the nation of Israel. I want you to protect them. I want you to lead them. And here was Gideon saying, I can't do this. I'm the least. But by the time God is done with Gideon and he uses Gideon in such an amaz amazing way, Gideon's declaration is, you are the God of peace. You are the Lord of peace. And here it's that same idea. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Jehovah Shalom is who our God is. He restoreth my soul. Jehovah Rophika. Jehovah who heals you. See, that goes all the way back to Exodus. When the Lord told, tells Moses, you tell the people that if they'll obey me, if they'll keep my commandments, if they'll do as I say, I will be their Jehovah Rophika. Jehovah who heals thee. I will not put any of these diseases on them. I will keep them free of sickness. 
I will be the God who heals them. Here we have, He restores my soul, Jehovah Rophika. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, Jehovah Zidkanu. Jehovah Rophika, Jehovah our righteousness. How absolutely imperative is it is that we see who our great God is. Exodus 31, 13, that's where that name is given to him. He is Jehovah, our righteousness. Outside of him, we have none. Outside of, we have no righteousness of our own. Man has no righteousness of his own. But he is our righteousness. So he's our shepherd. He, he is uh, our Jehovah Jireh. He is our Jehovah Rafika that heals us. He is our righteousness, our Jehovah Zidkanu. He restoreth my soul. And, and by the way, uh, look at Psalm 42, because I, I think this is interesting that we understand this whole, uh, whole episode that we're that we're talking about with these sheep and he's the shepherd and all the things that the shepherd does look at Psalm 42 11 so remember we just read he restores or he brings back he heals literally he heals my soul Psalm 42 verse 11 why art thou cast down O my soul and why art thou disquieted within me Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. It is Jehovah who heals us. And what's interesting, if a sheep becomes what they call cast, you ever heard that term used in relationship to sheep? They, if a sheep becomes cast, that means they've fallen and they can't get up. And usually they're on their back and their legs are straight up. And the shepherd has to make a mad dash because they can die. A sheep will just get satisfied like that and go, kind of comfy. And a sheep will just, it will just die like that. And the shepherd sees it. It needs to get back on its feet or it will be prey to something or it will just die. And the shepherd sees that his 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 animal is cast, cast down, laying down. He'll make a mad dash and he'll roll that sheep. It happens when they need to be uh, the wool um, sheared. Thank you. When he needs to be sheared. So verse chapter 42, Psalm 42. Why is my soul cast down? Well, he restores that soul that's cast, that's down, that's feeling the misery of not pleasing God and desiring to live for God. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God shows you the way to go. His word tells us the way to go. God expresses 
his expectations. He tells us exactly how he wants us to live. His word is clear. And yes, it, there's a blessing to your life. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, right? But it's, he does it for his namesake. He wants you to be a testimony of his goodness, of his mercy, of his love. His name is at stake. When we talk about being a testimony, it's not really for your benefit. It's for his. It's not so that people are going to glorify you, but that you are going to glorify his holy name. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Jehovah Shammah, or Shammah, the Lord who is there, S-H-A-M-M-A-H, I think. That's the way I spell it. S-H-A-M-M-A-H, Shema. The Lord who is there. That name for God comes to us in Ezekiel as Ezekiel is talking about the future temple where Christ is going to rule and reign in the millennium. Remember in, in Ezekiel, it gives us the picture of the Shekinah glory of God departing the temple. And i got to tell you how terrible that is, how horrible that is for the nation of Judah, the nation of Israel, for him to, the holy, uh, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God, for God himself to depart the temple. And they hang their heads, and they realize the seriousness, because if he's not in the temple... He's not the God in their presence. If he's not in the temple, their sacrifices are meaningless. But here he is Jehovah Shema. Jehovah who is there. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. Talk to Marge this week. I got to tell you. She is so ready to be with the Lord Jesus. And there is no fear in that woman. There is only delight that this could be the end. And I said, Marge, you used to say that you really believed that you were going to go up in the rapture. And she said, oh, Rick, it doesn't matter now. God, just take me any way you want to take me. She is so ready. So pray for this sister. She fears no evil. And you know what strikes Strikes me about that verse. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we're all going to have to go through there. If, if the, rapture, the rapture doesn't happen, I really believe it is, but oh, it is going to happen. I just don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime. But many of us here may very well experience death. And if the rapture is delayed, we're all going to experience death at some point. But I think the word through there is so interesting. Yea, though I walk into the valley of shadow of death, not through the shadow of death. 
I think that's the promise of resurrection. That's the promise of what God has planned. That's the promise of God's purpose for his people. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, it's not going to hold me. It's not going to keep me. Death is not going to restrain me from being with the one who died for me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You are my God who is there every step of the way. And regardless of the things that you're facing, regardless of things that you're dealing with, know this, that if everyone else forsakes you, there is one who does not ever. And he is the one who is there regardless and desires to make himself known in those circumstances through his word. He is the God who is there. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jehovah Nisai. Jehovah Nisai. That goes back to Exodus 17, verse 15. That's where we get that name for Jehovah. It, it, it's Jehovah our banner. Jehovah the one who protects. The Jehovah the one who... A lot of people talk about, well, it covers, but that's not what the word really means. You go back to Exodus chapter 17, it was all about uh, Amalekite coming against Moses and the children and, and attacking them from the rear, and they stop and they fight the king of Amalek. Remember how he was, he was knocking off the elderly and the young and the infirmed and, and, and killing them? And they stopped and started fighting. And, and, and as long as Moses' hands were raised, as long as he was sitting and his hands were raised, Joshua and Caleb, is that who was doing it? And they held his arms up with his staff. And see, that's what, that's what a, a Nisai, it's a staff. It's a banner. It's a rallying point. It's something that when, when all else is going bad, it's going terrible, he is our rallying point. He is the one that we run to for protection, for watch care. And Moses sitting with his hands up, his scepter, his rod in his hand, and as long as it was up, God's people prevailed. But if his hands got weary, and that's why Joshua and Caleb came and picked his, and then they just beat the daylights out of Amalek. That's what he's talking about. He, he's our shepherd. He's our provision. He's our healer. He's our peace. He's our righteousness. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head, my cup runneth over. I always say this one last because I usually butcher it. But Jehovah Mekadishkin. Don't ask me to say it again. Mekadishkin. Hey, that, hey. I he is Jehovah my sanctifier. Jehovah 
Mitadishkin. And that's what David in his psalm, he is trying to declare all that the Lord is. He is all of these things. And all of them together detail that he is Jehovah Zabaoth. He is Jehovah. He is the Lord of hosts. And who can reckon with him? Who can defeat him? Who can overcome him? That bottom line is nobody. Nothing. He is our Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rofika, Jehovah Zidkanu, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Medikadishkin, Jehovah Zabaoth. The Lord of hosts is his name. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Without a doubt, the psalmist, David, is wanting to make sure we understand that when we worship him, when we come together and we sing praises, because that's what this book is. It's songs of praises. That he is God most high. And he alone deserves our worship and our praise. In the book of Psalms, he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the good shepherd. He's the one that loves each and every one of us. And I pray this morning, you know this Lord as your Savior. Know that He died for you, was buried, and rose again. You know with certainty because you believe God's Word. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has nothing to do with what you've done other than believe. And then you say, Lord, I take you at your Word. It doesn't matter how I feel on this particular day. It doesn't, doesn't matter how sinful I've been, even though you don't want to be sinful, okay? But he still loves you. And he forgives. Yeah, he's the great shepherd. But oh, I've got to tell you, he's our great savior. He is the head of the body. And our hope, your desire, is to serve him if you're redeemed. If you're not, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting for? For Christians to be gone and go, oops, how did I miss that? Let me tell you, you don't want to do that. You want to be one of those that's called up to be with Him in glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for how your world reveals you to us. And all those things and psalms that were written about you, there's fulfillment. It just proves positive that you are who you say you are. Father, we thank you for that truth. Now, Father, as we are dismissed this morning, we return to our homes and to our jobs and to our families. Father, help us to remember each and every minute of each and every day who we belong to and your purpose for our lives. 
Help us to remember that we are to be ministers of the word of reconciliation, that we are to be your ambassadors, that we are to tell a world that is so needy that the greatest need of all is Christ Jesus as their Savior. And Father, may we faithfully proclaim that truth. And Father, we pray all these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.